Friends, uh, do take a seat. Well, good uh, evening, everyone. Uh, good to be here. We, as Callum has uh, alluded to, we start our summer series uh, tonight with, uh, on singing the psalms. And as you know, Psalm 23 is one of the uh, probably best-loved psalms in the Bible. Its words are, are healing uh, to our souls. Uh, they are uh, truly medicines uh, for our wounds. So um, you might be helped by uh, this sermon sheet, which is uh, minimalistic in style. Uh, it's modern preaching, modern art. Uh, so you might, uh, you might find that helpful. Well, why don't we pray before we uh, begin? Heavenly Father, we indeed uh, thank you for uh, your word, and we ask that you will uh, speak to us this evening. And will you please um, uh, open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes, uh, that we may see your truth and your glory. Lord, will you please, uh, please use me as, your, uh, as, as someone who, who speaks Please uh, speak through me, uh, and that uh, your name may be glorified. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I don't know if you know um, Eric the Penguin sort of uh, card. I'd, uh, sort of, uh, so my family gave me um, Eric the Penguin uh, Father's Day cards uh, only recently. And in it, Eric the Penguin said to Dad, uh, Dad, you are A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. And uh, what's that? <laughs> and Eric's penguin says, well, you're athletic, you're brainy, you're charming, you're dedicated, energetic, fantastic, generous, humorous. <laughs> and you see a picture of Dad, mm, really happy about that because, you know, he doesn't often get praise from his son. And, um, and Dad said, so what's, what's I, J, K then, son? Uh, at which point Eric says, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, just, just as Eric liked to play, play tricks on his dad, uh, our minds can also kind of play tricks uh, on us, I think, with this psalm. Firstly, because it's a celebrity psalm, is it not? Its words are very familiar. And after a while, we kind of stop listening. Secondly, because it's a feel-good psalm. Its words transport us to tranquil places, and after a while, well, it becomes mere escapism. And thirdly, because it's potentially a selfish psalm, because God does good to me, and I am in the center of everything. Well, I hope in the next 20 minutes or so, we can uh, steer around some of these pitfalls as we take a look at this psalm, a fresh look at it. Well, what strikes me as I read through this psalm is its simplicity. It speaks a plain message, which uh, I think our society, and perhaps even us, find very difficult to accept. And that is God is good. God is good. Is it possible to find a good God in this broken world, which we live in, which we witness every day on our TV screens? Perhaps it's uh, easy to say that God is good when one has a good life. It's easy to say God is good while we have good jobs, good families, 
We can look forward to happy holidays and comfortable pensions. Uh, but in this psalm, we have to remember that King David's world was completely turned upside down. He was king, he did have everything, but he lost everything overnight. Uh, he had to uh, run away, he had to flee uh, from Jerusalem because he was being pursued by his beloved son Absalom, who led a coup to seize his father's throne. David didn't expect to survive, I think, this particular chase. Uh, he was exhausted, um, and um, Absalom was chasing him all the way out of Jerusalem. So, King David really knew pain. You know, it, it surprises me uh, that this uh, best love psalm, which sings very much of the goodness of God, arose out of a painful life. But it similarly kind of reassures me you know, that here we have a real psalm, a psalm for everyone who is uh, struggling with life. And so our first reflection uh, that you can see in your uh, pink sheet is that God is the good shepherd who is with me in the midst of life's struggles. Well, I, I, I don't know what, uh, what it means to be a good shepherd or a bad shepherd. You know, I've always been a town mouse all my life. Uh, that's why I enjoy holidays in the countryside. You know, I can remind myself that grass is green and that sheep are real animals, uh, not just sort of cut-up pieces of meat in Sainsbury's. Um, but even, you know, a town mouse like me can clearly see the picture here. Uh, that King David is painting. King David is amazing, isn't it? He paints a picture through his words. And what the picture he's saying here is that the good shepherd cares for his sheep. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. Uh, I wonder if any of you have uh, ever watched this uh, comedy series called uh, Frasier, uh, an American comedy series. Um, there was an episode whereby uh, Frazier and his brother Miles, both are psychiatrists, uh, they had to think about care for their aging father. They, ex they explored several options, including a care home for him. So they looked through several of these uh, glossy uh, brochures and was drawn to one that has a, a motto uh, that says, we care so you don't have to. Well, letting go of responsibility is certainly not God's way of caring for his sheep. Um, so we'll see in the first four verses how God cares for his sheep. Perhaps if you can turn to your Bibles and look at verses 1, uh, 2, 3 with me. Hope, hope you can f uh, follow uh, the verses with me. It says here, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, essentially what David is saying here is that if God is my shepherd, I have all that I need. What a confidence uh, for, for someone uh, who is running away uh, for his life. You know, it does not mean, of course, that I can no longer uh, feel hunger or thirst or pain or disappointments, 
But in all these things, I can be confident that God knows and he can supply all my needs, as uh, Alex was alluding to earlier in his prayers. You know, what I love uh, about these verses is that they're quite personal, are they not? They show that the good shepherd cares for each one of his sheep. You know, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down. He leads me. And I suppose that's why it is one of the best love psalms in the Bible. We are not just numbers uh, to him. Uh, I was in a, in a meeting uh, this Wednesday uh, in Harrow uh, amongst one of the sort of GP practices there. And uh, they showed colorful charts of how my practice uh, performed compared to, to other uh, practices in the area. Um, I could not, however, identify, uh, you know, which one is my practice. You know, I'm just like a colorful dot in, in, in that sort of chart. Uh, because in the big scheme of things, you know, we are just numbers. We are, we are just numbers. We're just a dot. Um, but to God, that's not the case. To God, I matter, clearly. I have significance, not just numbers. It does not deny, of course, that, that life is hard. And I don't think this psalm is, uh, is saying that. Uh, this psalm doesn't say that life is going to be trouble-free. I think it's quite the contrary, actually. It assumes that we are all on the same page on that one. We all know it's a struggle to fill this uh, little bag we carry around with us every day called the stomach. Um, I uh, met a, a patient who, um, who told me that he, 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 he did struggle with life because um, he had to work seven days a week, he had to hold three, three jobs down, and um, all that in order to feed his family. It's, it's tough, and this is London. Uh, it's only 15 minutes uh, down the road from here. And so the, the good shepherd, aware of life's hardships uh, in, in, verse, in verse 2, ensures that his tired sheep get opportunities for rest. You know, I love that phrase, makes me, he makes me, he leads me. Um, because very often we don't know what we need, and I, I certainly frequently don't know what I need, uh, whether I need rest or not. And so I need someone to give me a prescription. Uh, you are resting. Um, uh, don't give me options, just, just tell me to rest. And that's what Karen, my wife, often tells me. Uh, you know, you, you must rest. It's time to stop. Otherwise, you won't get dinner. Um, <laughs> it works. <laughs> um, see, God knows that without rest, there will be no, verse 3, there will be no restoration, renewal, refreshment of the soul. Uh, this is interesting because the word soul, I think it gives us the clue that King David here isn't talking about physical rest only. The green pastures and the still waters uh, are not only about having plenty of grass to eat and plenty of water to drink, but they convey a picture, again, another picture of, of safety, of peace and contentment. How long, how much we long for such rest? How much we long for such rest? In fact, I don't know of, of any rest 
that is able to refresh the soul. Do you? Um, I, you know, refreshing the body and the mind, uh, yes, but, but not the soul, the inner person, the, the inner spirit. You know, I've tried holidays in the countryside, I've tried city breaks, uh, I haven't tried camping or, or skiing. Perhaps those are the missing ingredients here. Um, I've certainly talked to lots and lots and lots of people. Uh, that's just part of the job. Uh, they have tried uh, all sorts of things, multiple relationships, having children, music, traveling around the world, new homes, great jobs, um, multiple um, partners, alcohol, various concentrations, uh, drugs of all kinds, uh, self-help and beliefs of all sorts, from atheism to um, monotheism. Uh, clearly, people have been searching uh, high and low, outside and inside, for this rest that leads to restoration of their souls. And yet they are still restless. People are still restless. And so clearly there is a kind of rest that is beyond the reach of mankind. You know, however hard we try, whatever we do, however many holidays we have, we cannot obtain it. This is the kind of rest which, is, which King David is talking about here in this psalm. A rest which can still our restless souls. A rest which is only to be found in the Lord God, the Good Shepherd himself. You can't have rest. You can't have contentment. You can't have restoration apart from the Good Shepherd. And why is that? Why, why can't we have it? I think the psalm is saying, because he is your rest. The Lord God is your rest. The Lord God is your contentment. The Lord God is your restoration. Friends, if you're searching for this rest today, Psalm 23 gives us that clear answer to our restlessness. Our souls are restless until they find rest in their maker, the shepherd of their souls. And so let me invite you, friends, if you are searching tonight to find rest in the Lord, the Lord God, the good shepherd. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly a fact that, that sheep won't just take care of themselves. You know, they, they, I know that they just seem to be standing in the field all day, uh, but, but sheep clearly don't just do that. Uh, uh, it, it seems that um, they do to me because I'm, I'm a town mouse, and the thought of a, of a herd of sheep you know, traveling in groups, running down uh, a narrow country lane is simply ludicrous. Uh, <laughs> until I was caught in one in Cumbria. Uh, I, I was thinking at that point, imagine a, a newspaper article that says a Chinese man killed by a herd of sheep in a Cumbrian country village. But you see, um, sheep travel. And so, so, so a good shepherd would guide his sheep along the right paths, paths that are safe, tried, and tested. Just like sheep, people also need guidance. And I think this is what David was saying in, in 
the last part of verse 3 when he says, He guides me in paths of righteousness. I think this is very true, isn't it? Because life often puts us in paths of confusion. Uh, we are driving through a fog. Sometimes the fog is so thick that you can't even see the traffic lights ahead of us. You know, there are many possible paths to choose, many possible directions we can take, many possible decisions. But which one leads us to green pastures and, and quiet waters? Life is uh, clearly not just a struggle for, for daily provisions, for rest, as we've seen, and restoration. Uh, but life is a moral struggle. It is a moral struggle. It's a struggle between right and wrong, wisdom and folly. It's therefore not a surprise, I think, that the Bible is full of that. Uh, the Bible continually tells us uh, to choose wisdom, choose life, um, and warns us against evil and folly. For example, I'll just take a couple of verses from Proverbs. Uh, my son, it says here, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. Uh, another one, uh, such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. What a warning. What a warning. And one of the favorite verses in, 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 in our house, certainly, is from 3 John. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Well, in saying all that, we, we can't take anything for granted in this life, can we? A good shepherd knows that even when he leads the sheep along right paths, those tried and tested routes, their safety is not guaranteed. There are forces of evil out there. There are wolves who will outwit and mislead his sheep. And also there are forces of evil from within, who by nature are simply bent towards doing what is wrong and foolish. Sheep get lost. They, they, they do get lost, you know, because they are foolish creatures. They wander and they get into trouble. And I think this is where we're heading in verse 4. This is where we reach that valley, that valley. Um, someone gave me a feedback this morning after I've given this talk, and um, he said, actually, this valley is a real valley. Uh, it's the Kidron Valley. Uh, in, so when David fled uh, the city of Jerusalem, because he had to do it in such a hurry, he had to cut across the east of the city, right down into the Kidron Valley, which was a deep valley. And he said, in military terms, that's suicide. Because always, you, uh, you want to look for high grounds in military terms, not in the valley. In the valley, it's death. I thought that was so helpful. And um, this valley of the shadow of death sounds really creepy. Uh, just, it, it just sounds really creepy. Valley of the shadow of death. I think it's, just, it's, it's more than just uh, sort of getting into trouble. This is truly a place of evil, a place of darkness, of death. Uh, whether we like it or not, 
what uh, verse 4 is saying, I think that one day like sheep, each of us will walk through this valley of the shadow of death. It is in this valley where you feel that you have never, the feeling that you've never ever felt before. Suddenly, I'm vulnerable. My mates can't help me. My job, my pension is worthless. My strength is drained out of me. And it is in this valley that you feel your lostness, your fragility, your dependence. That uh, verse 4, that, that says the fear of evil, that fear of evil. But friends, uh, it's the most creepy verse has turned into the most wonderful and commenting verses in the Bible. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What a wonderful verse. And, um, you know, this is not a kind of uh, pillow comfort, uh, the kind of comfort associated with, you know, the green pastures and the quiet waters that we saw in verse 2. This is a comfort of, of a new beginning. Remember in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says Isaiah. Uh, it is that, that kind of comfort uh, as if uh, of, of a new life, of a new beginning, of hope, like a tender leaf in spring. You see what's happening here, because it is in this valley, if you notice, the good shepherd is the closest to his sheep. It is in this valley of the shadow of death that God is nearest to me. You see, the third person of verses 1 to 3, the he's, the he restores, he this, he this, has now turned into a second person, you. You are with me, David says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It is in this valley that the shepherd puts his own life at risk uh, for his sheep. And it is in this valley that the shepherd, using his, uh, his rod and his staff, the rod and the staff uh, to, uh, are the sort of instruments that uh, shepherds use to, to rescue and to fight uh, the wolves off, really. It is in this valley that, that the shepherd fought, risked his life, got his hands dirty, to save the life of the sheep. And friends, it, it can't, you know, it, it, it really reminds me of what actually happened in first century Palestine uh, when someone who was called by the name Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd, God with us. Uh, he was uh, born into the lineage of King David, and he walked around and proclaimed, I am, I am the good shepherd, he says. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the rod and the staff uh, that Jesus used to comfort his people, to comfort us, is that very cross upon which he died. Because through Jesus' death on the cross, we no longer fear evil and death. That valley of the shadow of death has been conquered. That valley of the shadow of death 
has truly lost its sting. The cross has given us comfort, assurance, and the hope of new life. Well, friends, I guess this this valley is where some of us had been, where some of us are going through, or certainly will pass through one day. We feel utterly, utterly helpless in this valley. And I know that many of us uh, try to climb out of this valley by ourselves. Uh, We've been self-sufficient all our lives. We've achieved everything we laid our hands on. So why can't we climb out of this valley by ourselves? Well, friends, I think if you think like this, you clearly have underestimated the depth of this valley, the depth of the shadow of death. Because no one had ever climbed out of this valley except Jesus, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That's the only way out of the valley of the shadow of death, is through the cross of Christ. The good shepherd had conquered this valley, friends. We need not fear evil and death any longer. So, friends, the Lord Jesus wants to give you rest. So come to him. And he also wants to give you comfort. Comfort, this reassurance that his death on the cross is indeed your way out of the valley of the shadow of death. So come to him. Meet him at the cross of Christ. Well, friends, uh, we're coming towards the end now. So we have journeyed so far with this uh, good shepherd. We've uh, seen how he cares for his sheep, even in the midst of daily struggles. Um, He's given them provisions, restoration, moral guidance, and comfort. Comfort from fear of evil and death. And so it's it's now time to come home, isn't it? It's been a long day. Um, Let's go back home, put the sheep back in the pen, have a shower, put my feet up, watch Vicar of Dibley or something, while I enjoy my lamb Vindaloo. Um, That's what I would have done. But no, you know, that's not what he did. Well, let's look at verses 5 to 6. What did he do? Well, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, we suddenly discover in verses 5 and 6 that this shepherd who had been caring for his sheep all this while is actually a king. He's actually a king. Because the Bible often uses this uh, shepherd language to describe kings. So we have in this psalm two images of God which act like two sides of the same coin. So the good king, on arriving back home in verse 5, he put on his royal robes and he prepared a feast of pure delights for his people. And this is our second reflection, uh, which you can see in in the pink sheet, that the good king, the Lord God, is the good king. 
who blesses me with a secure future. Well, you see, why a feast? Why a feast? The, the purpose is, is clear. This is how contracts or, or agreements or, or the Bible word is, is covenant between two parties were sealed. They eat together. That's a great thing. I'm, I'm often very jealous uh, you know, of my corporate business friends because they, they, you know, they get to eat nice expensive meals while you know, chatting and having business deals. Uh, well, you know, they can also claim the cost of that against expenses for their tax. Um, you know, in my line of work, I hardly get time to eat. Uh, it's always pack, pack lunch on the go all the time. I think I, think I need a new job. That's, that's, that's what I need. Um, but friends, can you see what's happening here? This is, this is the king committing himself to, to little King David. He did it through preparing a feast, through anointing David's head with oil, which is a symbol of, of honor and, of course, of kingship as well, and through filling David's cup until it's overflowing with wine. The good king is saying, I do, I do to his bride. And no one can stop this marriage, not even in the presence of the enemies. The Lord, L-O-R-D, big letter, Yahweh in Hebrew, is the name of this commitment-making shepherd king. Uh, we were introduced to him right from the beginning. In verse 1, if you uh, look at the, that verse, the Lord is my shepherd. We honor his name in verse 3, for his name's sake. And we dwell in his house at the end of the psalm in verse 6. See, friends, the Lord, Yahweh, is the center of this psalm. Everything hinges on this. Everything, all the commitments, all the promises, all the blessings hinge on the Lord, which is the center of this psalm. See, without commitment from the king, there is no security uh, for his people. Imagine uh, the chaos in, in our country if, um, if the government is not committed to the rule of democracy and laws. No, none of us will be able to enjoy the blessing of stability, of freedom, of peace. Brexit uh, is a good recent example. Without a commitment uh, from, from us to stay in the EU, there is a kind of insecurity, isn't it? An uncertainty, uh, both at home and in Europe. But the Lord, friend, the Lord, the King who is faithful to all of his commitments, in this verse has bound himself to his people. He's bound himself to his people. You know, that's why King David can have this complete confidence that the Lord has secured his future. You know, future is, is a strange thing. Uh, it makes me anxious whenever I think of the future. I'm sure it uh, does for you too. Uh, because the future is uncertain. 
Uh, and yet it's a preoccupation for all of us. Every single hour of the day. I don't think any decisions are made without kind of reference to uh, something in the future. It's a, the, the future, however, is, is a double-edged sword. It's, you, you can never get it right. Um, so I, I have children. Um, perhaps some of you do. Uh, you always worry if you get it right. And if you worry that you don't get it right. Uh, so, for example, you invest in your children's uh, musical talent. Say, you play the piano, the guitar, the drums. Um, and if they succeed, uh, you know, they, they get all the distinctions in the world, uh, you worry that, wow, they're so talented. Uh, perhaps they'll, but I'm worried that they'll waste it. Uh, that they'll just stop playing one day uh, and they'll just bury their talented gift. What a waste. You know, if they don't succeed, the same thing. If they say, oh, mom, I just want to give up. Um, I can't be bothered. <laughs> and you worry that they'll just grow up without any talents. So you worry either way. You know, the future is very unsettling. You, can, you just can never win it. You can never get ahead of it. Um, so it is unsettling, the future. Unless, of course, uh, you have the Lord. The Lord, the good king, who has blessed you with a secure future. And then we can sing verse 6 with King David, which is one of the most uplifting, uh, secure verses in the whole Bible. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Amazing, amazing. I was reading another translation for this. It says that surely goodness and love will pursue me, will pursue me. And I, I love that translation because it reminds me that King David was being pursued by his uh, son Absalom. Uh, but at the end of this psalm, David was actually saying, look, it's the, the goodness and the love of God that will pursue me all the days of my life. He was completely taken over, David, by the blessings that will pursue those whose king is the Lord himself. Friends, well, I think we should end now. I've, I think, gone over my time. Um, but um, as we end our, our, our reflections on Psalm 23, uh, we're left with one simple question. What, what do we want? Do we want goodness and love to pursue us all the days of our lives? Do we want to dwell in an eternal home forever? I think it would be quite odd if we don't feel that we have such need. It would be really odd. Perhaps that's because you know, we consider ourselves already having all the goodness and love in our lives as we currently are living. But friends, I hope you won't be blinded by, by the temporary things of this life and that you will look for that secure future uh, which the good king wants to bless you with in abundance. So friends, let me invite you to consider the shepherd king of Psalm 23 because all the blessings 
all the securities of the future, that unsettling future, are only to be found in him, in the Lord God, our good shepherd king.